Isaiah chapter 41, I've uh, had something stirring around in my heart about this verse of Scripture, and I want to share just a few things with you just real briefly this evening. Isaiah 41 verse 10, it says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Now notice the things that God is identifying to his children well, actually, we apply it to us as children of God. But he was saying this to Israel, who the Bible calls servants, not sons, but servants. And notice what God has said that he would do and the, the benefits that he would provide. Notice the first thing he said, after fear not, for I am with thee, be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Notice the strength of God is promised. I will strengthen thee. Now, this word strength or strengthen, uh, in the Old Testament, it's, uh, uh, it's most often um, translated as courage. It's talking about God's strength, God's power, but it's referring to courage. You may remember in Joshua chapter 1, we always uh, quote uh, verse 8, where God is telling Joshua how to become successful as a leader. He says, this book of the law, meaning the word of God, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do all that's commanded of you. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous and then thou shalt have good success. But if you back up and look at some of the surrounding verses that precede verse 8, where he's telling Joshua how to be successful and how to meditate on the word and uh, the importance of meditating in the word. He talks to Joshua about being strong and courageous. He tells him that as I was with Moses, so shall I be with you. He says, no man will be able to stand before you. And then he tells him to be be strong or have courage. Be strong. Only be thou courageous. Why is Joshua going to need to be courageous when he's got the promises that nobody will be able to stand against him? I mean, if God told you, because I'm with you, You'll never lose. And and that is what that means, isn't it? No man shall be able to stand against you. He's talking about specifically the the position that Joshua has had bestowed on him to take Moses' place as the leader of the children of Israel. So he's talking about, that verse has to be talking about um, winning battles and overcoming any and all enemies as they go in to take the promised land. So then why does God tell him to be courageous? Why does God tell him? And he tells him three or four times. Only be strong and of good courage. Only be thou courageous. He says it in a couple of different ways. But why is he telling Joshua that? Folks, there's only one thing that makes sense in providing an answer to that question. And that is because it's not always going to look like you're winning. It's not always going to look like you're winning and you're going to come out on top. So God's telling Joshua, you'll win every battle. No doubt, no question. You'll win every battle, but don't allow yourself to be moved by what it looks like. Don't allow yourself to be moved. Stay in there. God said, I will strengthen thee. Notice what he did not say. He did not say, and thou shalt feel strong. We all want to feel strong, don't we? Smith Wigglesworth said this. He said, when I feel the weakest in faith, that's when I'm the strongest. But when I feel the strongest in faith, that's when I'm the weakest. And then he went on to explain what he meant. He said, when I feel strong, I'm relying on my feelings. 
But if I feel weak in faith, then all I have to rest on and rely on is the truth of the word. I like that. Paul said the same thing. Paul talking about the persecution and the, all the trouble the Jews particularly stirred up against him in his ministry. He talked about praying for this thorn in the flesh to be removed from him. I know a lot of people want to think that that's sickness and disease, but if you look at the, the, the list of things that he identified, he never once lists sickness or disease as being a problem. But he does talk a lot about persecution. He does talk a lot about the affliction and, and adversity that came on him because of people, primarily the Jews, stirring up trouble against him, stirring up other people against him. He talks about being beaten and, and with rods and uh, his imprisonments and, and so forth. And so when he said, I prayed the Lord three times that this might be taken from me. And the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. Now, there's several things about that. And I don't want to get off track here too far, but there's several things about what Paul said that are just fascinating to me. He makes a big deal of saying that he, th- played, he prayed about this three times. He seems to be saying, I prayed three times, so you know this was something I really got alone with God about. That's fascinating to me. Because that is not the picture of most people's prayer life. I mean to say, and and think about this is what he's saying. For him to say, and I prayed about this thing three times. Well, for goodness sakes, most people that I know of, most Christians I know that are in trouble, they pray three times about it every 30 minutes. But Paul seems to be indicating to us that prayer is a conversation with God. And when you pray, you shouldn't have to keep asking for something over and over and over. So he concludes, the Lord told me, my grace is sufficient for you. He then says, most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. He's talking about the strength of God. He's talking about the power of God that comes through the word. He says, when I feel weak. Any of you ever thought about Paul feeling weak? He always looks to me and all the stories in the book of Acts and all the accounts that we have of him and his exploits. He always looks to me like he's on top of things, not underneath. But he says, I'll gladly rejoice in my infirmities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. He's saying when I feel weak, that's when I'm the strongest because all I've got to rely on is the truth of the word. So he didn't say, I will make you feel strong. He said, I will strengthen you. Well, how's he going to strengthen us? Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. The gospel of Christ is the word of God. That's where we know about the good news. Or that's where the good news is identified for us of what Jesus did and what Jesus accomplished. So Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it, the word of God. It is the power of God unto salvation. That word salvation means a lot more than just forgiveness of sins. It means to be rescued. It means to be delivered. It means to be made safe. It means to be made sound. It means to be healed. So the delivering power of God's in his word. The healing power of God is in his word. The place of safety is in his word. And Isaiah says on behalf of God, I will strengthen thee. I will provide you with any and every bit of strength that you need. But know this, strength comes from the word. Then notice the next thing he said. He said, yea, I will help thee. 
Remember, Jesus said that he was going to send the comforter. He talked to his disciples at the Last Supper, the night that he was betrayed. Jesus said, I'll, I'll send you another comforter. Well, that word comforter is the Greek word paraclete, and it means a whole host of things. Most translations translate it as helper. The Holy Ghost is our helper. So notice that Isaiah is foreseeing God's plan in the future for the church. And that would make sense because God wasn't any different in the Old Testament than he is in the New. He didn't change. The New Covenant didn't change God. It didn't change what he had promised. It just gave us a better covenant established on better promises. It just gave us greater access to who God always was. Amen? So he said, yeah, I will help thee. We've got the help of the Holy Ghost. Now notice he didn't say he will do it for you. God's looking for us to do something. You remember when God appeared in the burning bush to Moses, started talking to him about going into Pharaoh's court, telling him, delivering a message from God Almighty, the creator of the universe, let my people go. Moses had a lot of reservations. He had a lot of fears about doing what God told him to do. He wanted to know how will I know that Pharaoh will do these things that you said? And what power will I show him? How am I going to convince him that they really should do this? You remember what God asked Moses? He said, what do you have in your hand? Well, he had in his hand a stick. So he said, throw it on the ground. It turned into a snake and Moses ran away from his own stick. Then he told him to grab it by the tail and it became a stick again. That's the helping power of the Holy Ghost. He has to have something that Moses has in his possession. Moses has to do something. He has to take a step on his own for God's power to manifest and for the help of God to come into play. God didn't say he'd do it for us. He said he would help us. Now, I want to refer again back to Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8. If you need to uh, look at that, go ahead and turn in your Bibles there. If you've got it memorized and know what we're saying, then that's, that may suffice. But notice that in that verse 8, God said, this is the way, talking about meditating in the Word. He says, this is the way for you to make your way prosperous. This is how you can make your way prosperous. Over and over and over again, the Bible talks about God doing something for us. To help us. But we've got ingrained in us, particularly the Western world, has ingrained in us this idea that we're nothing. We're just a worm of the dust. And our righteousness is as filthy rags. And all the other things, all the other scriptures that the devil has fed to us and misled us in thinking so little about ourselves. But folks, you're the greatest of God's creation. You're the greatest of God's creative works. God doesn't make nothing. God doesn't make people to be nothing. And because we've made Jesus the Lord of our lives, it's impossible for us to be nothing. He said, I will strengthen thee, yeah, I will help thee. Notice the next thing, he said, yeah, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. He's going to hold us up. Now, this word uphold means to exalt. It means to exalt. Psalm 91, verse 14 says, it's God speaking to his people, those that are willing to put the fear of the Lord first in their lives. 
and lived their lives based on the word and its instructions. God said, because you have set your love upon me, I will deliver you. The next thing he said is, I think it's in the last part of verse 14. He said, I will set him on high because he has known my name. I will set him on high because he's known my name. I will set him on high because he's known my name. Well, folks, that's us. We're the ones that he's talking about that qualify. We're not the only ones, certainly. But we qualify for that. We qualify for God to be exalted. Turn with me over to 1 Peter chapter 5. Peter's impressed or inspired by the Holy Ghost to write some of the same stuff. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Now, please notice that. He says our job is to humble ourselves. Our job is to humble ourselves. Most of the church world thinks God's in the humbling business. They'll even take what Paul said about his thorn in the flesh and turn that around, misuse the scriptures, misinterpret the scriptures to claim that Paul had received this thorn in the flesh to humble him. Paul says himself, because of the abundance of the revelations that was given unto me, a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan. Paul knew very clearly it wasn't from God. He knew that it wasn't from God. And since he did know that it wasn't from God, or maybe we'll come at it from the other direction, if he had thought that it was the will of God for him to have this thorn in the flesh, then he certainly would have been outside the will of God to ask that it be taken from him, much less to pray three times about it. And the Lord answered him, as we said before. He answered him and said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Paul did not get the information from God. God did not deliver the message to him that this is my will for you. He just simply let him know that persecution is not something that we're redeemed from. Jesus said that those that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Well, that's what Paul's asking to get rid of. God can't take that away. That's come about as a result of Paul living by the word of God and following the will of God for his life and his ministry. So God just simply told him, you're not redeemed from persecution, but don't worry, my strength will make you, put you over. But it had absolutely nothing to do on God's end. It had absolutely nothing to do with humbling Paul. Nothing whatsoever. God wasn't trying to take him down a notch. And if he had been, Paul said it was because of the abundance of the revelations. If God had been trying to humble Paul, why did he just stop the revelations? They're from him, aren't they? Well, certainly they were. But the church, God's going to humble us. But that's not what the Bible says. And the way that the church, modern day church, talks about hum, uh, humbling, being humbled, or the, the uh, uh, subject of humility, they've got it all wrong. They think and they preach that we're supposed to humble ourselves, meaning we're supposed to act like we're nothing. But that's not what the Bible teaches is humility. See, humility in God's eyes is for us to conform our thinking to what God's word says. That means when the word says that we're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, no matter how we feel, 
or no matter how the devil wants to try to twist scriptures around to prove uh, his point or to make a point in the opposite way. To humble yourself is to set aside the notion that you can't make it. To set aside the notion that you don't have the strength. To set aside the notion that you can't believe for a miracle. To set aside anything, any high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Humility is to bring every thought captive into the obedience of the word. That's what humility is. Humility is not us confessing before God how unworthy and how weak we are. Humility is to accept God's word because it's God's word. Even when it says things about us that we may not see in ourselves. Even when it says we can do things that we don't feel like we can do. To humble ourselves before God is to accept his word to be true. No matter how we feel. No matter what it looks like. And notice the the result of conforming to the word and thinking the word's thoughts. Thinking God's thoughts is revealed in his word. It says, humble yourselves therefore into the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you. He's talking about God lifting us up. Not putting us down. But about God lifting us up. So he told Joshua how to make his way prosperous. How he could make his own way prosperous and have good success. He's telling us that if we will conform to the word in our thought life and in our behavior to put the fear of the Lord first in everything that we do. He said, I'll exalt you. I'll lift you up. God has no problem whatsoever with people thinking well or admiring his children. He wants you to be an example of the world or to the world of what it means to be saved and to walk in victory. And he'll exalt you to do that. Now, we saw that in the Old Testament as well. We quoted Psalm 91, verse 14. Because he has set my, uh, his love upon me, I will deliver him. Because he's known my name, I'll lift him on high. God knows that when we use the name of Jesus and conform ourselves to the truth of the word, when we use the name of Jesus as it should be used, not as a bailout or get an out-of-jail-free card, but to use the name of Jesus to bring forth everything into our lives that Jesus paid the price for, that he shed his blood for and made a sacrifice for. He said, when you use the name of Jesus, when you accept the name of Jesus to have its proper place in your life, he said, I'll exalt you. I'll set you on high. Let's finish reading what, Paul, what Peter said here. He said, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. What is the mighty hand of God? It's talking about God's power. The mighty hand of God has to be God's power, doesn't it? Well, what is God's power? Paul said the gospel of Jesus is the power of God. So when you're exalting, or when you're humbling yourself to the mighty hand of God or under the mighty hand of God, that means you've got to be humbling yourself to obey the word. It has to be word-based. So he says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. How are we going to do that, Peter? Verse 7, casting all of your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He's looking for somebody that will let their guard down so he can eat them up. 
So he's seeking whom he may devour. So what should we do about this? Verse 9. Whom, talking about the devil, resist steadfast in the faith. Other translations say in your faith. So he's saying because your, your adversary, the devil, is trying to make you think you're less of your, think of yourselves that you're less than what Jesus has made you to be. But if you'll accept the truth of the word, God will exalt you. So we're going to have to cast our care over on him. We're going to have to get rid of all those cares of this world or the things that come against us in this life and give those over to him. Those things like the 12 spies, 10 of them came back and saw themselves as grasshoppers. We're going to have to cast the care over on on the Lord. It doesn't matter what we feel about ourselves. It doesn't matter how we look to be. It doesn't matter whether we look like we've got the strength to make this or not. The devil's trying to make you exalt yourself by thinking less of who you really are. That's pride. Spiritual pride is to say, I know better than God's word. And that's what you do when you say of yourself or think of yourself something that contradicts what the Bible says about you or contradicts what the Bible says Jesus has made us to be. That's spiritual pride. See, a lot of people hearing our confession of faith for our healing or for God's help in the area of finances or whatever area we're applying it to. A lot of people hear that and think, oh, how arrogant those people are. Well, folks, if we're saying what God's word says about us, if they've got a problem with what we're saying, they ought to really take it up with God. We're just agreeing with God's word, which cannot fail. It cannot pass away without being fulfilled. So we're going to have to cast our cares over on him. We're going to have to throw over on him all the things that might make us worry if we were to look at them and accept them to be true. Knowing that this is the way the devil operates. So what does the Bible tell us to do? It tells us the way to be exalted is to accept the truth of the word and resist the devil by faith. Well, if you're having to resist the devil by faith, that means by definition that you don't feel the way that you're confessing or you don't see in reality or in manifestation what the Bible says things are. Are you with me? See, the things you can see, you don't need faith for. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. So if you're resisting the devil by faith, that means regardless of your feelings, and even when you feel like you can't make it, even when you feel like you can't be strong or are not strong enough to handle the situation at hand, that's when God said, through my word, I'll strengthen you. Through my word, I'll strengthen you. Now, I want you to see one other thing about this, and I want you to go back with me to Isaiah 41 again. Isaiah 41, verse 10. I want to read it again before we make some other comments. It says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. To be upheld by the right hand of his righteousness simply means that Jesus making us righteous by his blood. Him being made sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made, and thank God we have been made, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's the exalting place. 
The Bible's telling us that when Jesus made the sacrifice, a substitutionary sacrifice for us, he made things right again. Righteousness, one of the definitions of the word righteousness means rightness, to set things back in proper order. And that's what he did when he made a sacrifice for us. He restored us back to the relationship that Adam and Eve had with God in the beginning. He restored us to the place of authority through the word of God and through Jesus' name to overcome all the work of the devil and to walk in victory. And that faith that Peter said that we're supposed to stand in and resist the devil through, that faith is the victory. It's not the method of victory. It is the victory because God's word is true. But you know as well as I do that not all Christians are helped by God. Not all Christians are strengthened by God. Not everybody is upheld with the right hand of his righteousness. So we're going to have to come to grips with what really is true. Now, folks, either, and there are hundreds of scriptures that we could use. We've named a few of them and we've quoted a few more. But God either wants us to operate in victory in every aspect of our lives, in every situation in our lives. He either wants us to be victorious in every part of our Christian life, or he's the most cruel joker in the face of the universe. He's either telling us this for truth, or he's mocking us, which is it? Why does not every Christian have the help and the strength and the upholding, the exalting power of God operating in their lives? Because verse 10 of Isaiah 41 is conditional. See, we usually read it. I've read it two or three times already this evening. We usually read that where God is saying, I'm here, so don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed because I'm on your side. But instead... He's saying, if you won't be afraid, and if you won't be dismayed, these are the results. Strength, help, and being exalted or upheld by righteousness. Look at it again. Fear thou not. That's a command. Fear thou not. You know as well as I do. Hope you're not in this situation, but we all, everybody probably has been at some point. But you know as well as I do that most Christians are living in fear, just trying to make it through. But God said, fear thou not. Remember he told Joshua, only be strong and very, uh, very courageous, of good courage. It was a requirement. Fear thou not. What are we supposed to do with fear? Folks, there's only one thing that the Bible tells us to do with fear, and that is to face it and to resist it by faith. You need to know that everything that has fear attached to it, every means, every method, every aspect of the devil's tormenting you or coming against you with fear is a lie. There is no fear that's true. Every fear is a lie. Are you hearing me? Every fear is a lie. The Bible calls it a spirit. It says, God, uh, Paul told Timothy, inspired by the Holy Ghost, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, 
but of power and of love and of sound mind. So fear is a spiritual force. Well, if it's a spiritual force, there's only one, of, one place that it could, could come from. It's either got to come from God or come from the devil. Well, fear is never of God. Can't be of God. Every time Jesus appeared to his disciples, every time he sent them forward, the fourth to cross the, the Sea of Galilee, for an example, he came to them walking in the night. Every time he shows up, he says, fear not. Fear can't be from God. Again, Paul told Timothy that God doesn't give us the spirit of fear. That spiritual force called fear is always of the devil, which means it always has to be a lie. Every fear is a lie. Every one. And we need to meditate on that until we get that firmly fixed on the inside of us. So he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Now, the word fear here really talks less, uh, is speaking less to emotion than it is to respect or regard. If you do a search in the Old Testament on this word fear, time and time and time again, it'll talk about it being regard or respect to revere. So he's talking about don't give respect to the wrong things, where he says, be thou not dismayed. Don't be dismayed. The word dismayed is an interesting word because it really means to look at. To look at. And it's used in the Bible several times as turning away because of what you see. The ten spies turned away from God because of what they saw. That didn't make what they saw wrong. But there was nothing about what they saw. The walls around the city of Jericho, the strength of the armies in the promised land, there was nothing about what they saw that kept them out of taking the promised land as evidenced by the fact that their children, the next generation, took possession of every part of the promised land. So what their parents gave regard to or what their parents looked at, the devil used that to get them to turn away from the power of God, from the truth of the word and the promises that God had made. So where it says fear not, it's talking about giving respect to the right things and be not dismayed. It's saying don't look away from the truth of the word. Don't look away from God who's with you. Don't look away from the promises that he's made. And when you do that, when you stand against fear, when you give reverence and respect to what God said, not what you see or hear or what the devil's trying to tell you, when you firmly fix your attention on the truth of the word, just like Abraham did. Romans chapter 4 talks about Abraham was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And one of the aspects or one of the ways that we know he was strong in faith that the Bible teaches us through is when it says he considered not his own body now dead. He didn't deny the facts in his body. But he chose not to look at his flesh as the evidence or the proof of what God said. Instead, Knowing what his body was doing, knowing the ways that his body had, had changed, notice what he, knowing what was, he was too old to do, instead he looked at the promise of God and was strong in faith because of what he looked at. He was strong in faith because of what he looked at, folks. Now, who decides what you look at? You can't stop the devil from bringing thoughts of doubt to your mind, but you don't have to accept them. You don't have to take them as your own. And for goodness sakes, you certainly don't have to say them. 
So we decide what we look at. The devil cannot force us to look away from the word. He wants to distract us. He wants to cause enough chaos in our lives to where we get become doubtful because of the circumstances. But you decide whether or not that happens. You decide what you're going to look at. You're the one that decides. So once we deal with fear, and once we make the determination and the decision never to look away from the promise of God, but to keep it firmly fixed in our hearts, to keep it ever before our eyes, that's when the help of God comes in play. That's when the strengthening of God takes place. It's another way to say what Proverbs 4 verse 20 says. My son, attend unto my words. Incline your ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from before thine thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. Verse 22 tells you why. For they are life unto those that find them. Notice the ones that find them are the ones that won't look away. The ones that find them accept the truth of the word is the final authority. They incline their ears. They keep them in the midst of their hearts. They keep their eyes focused on what God said. For then, through the choice to not look away, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous. I'm quoting half of another scripture. I'll get it in a minute. For then, they, my words, are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. There it is. Proverbs 4.22. They are life unto those that find them. In other words, you make your way prosperous in the word. Here it is again. God helping you, not doing it for you. But helping you. You doing what's right and what's appropriate and what you can do. And look for supernatural results through God's help. So once you do deal with the fear. Face your fears. And folks, remember, faith is the opposite of fear. You can school yourself in faith through your words. See, you don't have to feel to be true everything that you confess for it to work. You don't have to feel healed for healing words and healing confessions to bring you healing and health. The principle of faith is you'll have what you say, not what you feel like is true. You'll have what you say. So whatever the devil's trying to make you afraid of, just face that and speak what God's word says instead. If you're facing sickness and disease and the devil's telling you that he's going to kill you, well, that's hardly a bad deal since we know where we go. To depart and be with Christ is far better. But if you're not ready to go yet, hang back in right order. That's how it works. Fear not. Don't let fear take you away from the truth of the word. Don't turn away from the word at any, for anything, for any reason whatsoever. God's with you. He's on your side. He'll strengthen you through the word. He'll help you by the Holy Ghost. And he has exalted us through the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that we have the victory in everything that the enemy would come against us. We thank you, Father, that the... We love you, Father. 
We thank you that the word of God is the power of God to set us free and set us on high in every situation to bring us victory. In fact, our faith is our victory. Because victory is guaranteed when we're standing on the truth. When we're standing on the word. Thank you, Father, that we're healed. Thank you if we keep our mind on you. Because it's a sign of our trust and our faith in you, Father. Thank you for being so good to us. Thank you that because we're believers, all things are possible with us. Nothing is impossible when we're standing on the truth of your word. Thank you, Father, for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Say this after me. The strength of God is mine. God is my supernatural help. My heavenly Father exalts me through righteousness because I hold fast to his word. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.